0: Hey, this is Peter Bell, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt Grace Gratitude podcast, and the following is a sermon from our hopeful church plant Santa Ana Reformed. We are under the oversight of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde, and meet at 2 p.m. at Davis Elementary in Santa Ana, California. You can find us at the foot of the downtown Orange County Santa Ana Water Tower, as well as on our YouTube channel at Santa Ana Reformed, and our Twitter handle at Santa Ana URC. Our address is 1405 Flower Street, Santa Ana, California, 92701. Enjoy the sermon and may the gospel of Jesus Christ dwell in you richly. So imagine, or you know this is already true, that you have sinned grievously. You have violated God's holy law, and it's obvious. Everyone knows because it's been plastered everywhere. You're being talked about on social media, through the airwaves, and you can't get away from it. Next thing you know, your job is on ice. Your marriage is on its last legs, and you start catching disappointed glances from your kids. Your friends you've been friends with for decades, they no longer answer your texts. They don't return your calls. Every bit of communication with you has ceased. No one wants to be associated with you. You're the pariah. You're the outcast. You search everywhere. Formerly open doors are now shut. Former smiles pointed to you are now frowns. Because with your violation, everything in your history has now been dredged up. Everyone knows. Where will you turn? Where can you turn? You ask, is anyone going to come to my side? Will anyone help me with this? Will anyone bear my burden? Will anyone help me? And this is not just a problem for modern day celebrities. But this actually does happen to. But all of us who have sinned against the Holy God. It's as if it's been plastered everywhere. And this is what Paul takes up at the beginning of Galatians 6. He talks sin, forgiveness, burden bearing, and the burden bearer. Because in the gospel, there actually is one who opens his doors, who invites you in. With all your sins, he knows your backgrounds, your failures, and your griefs. Christ, who not only comes to be identified with you when everyone doesn't, but he actually takes on your identity. He takes on the one who actually is Mott, who everyone knows he's the one who did it. He takes this identity on, and then he gives you his identity, the one that is pure, the one that is pristine. And really, what a beautiful ending of the book of Galatians, because really the end part is the the epilogue, it's it's his writing to all the saints. After describing what Christ has done to fulfill the law, which is what chapter 5 is all about, love... The Lord your God, and love your neighbors yourself. So, where are we now? How how does this play out in the community of Christ? We'll see this to the following three points. The first to see on your outline is bearing others' burdens. It's the first two verses. Those who have fallen, as the list described in Galatians five, that shows those who have fallen. That's actually like a fallen list. This is this is a marker of those who have fallen fruits of the flesh, those are the ones restored. Those are the one Paul talks about in verse 1, restore those people. Restore them back to the community. Then we'll move to point 2, bearing your burdens. As opposed to bearing others' burdens, he then moves to Galatians, really in the first century, and all throughout human history up to us who desperately want to take it on their own. I want to bear my burdens, you bear your burdens, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And he plays that out. What does that actually look like? If we bear our own burdens, who helps us? And then point three, the burden-bearing community. He says, but there's good news. Those of us who want to bear our own burdens. There's a community purchased by Redeemer that bears your burdens. Has come to fill what we could not and place in this in the community of those whom he's done the same for. So I hope this becomes apparent throughout. In Christ, your sins have been forgiven, your burdens buried, your burdens carried, and he has placed you in his redeemed community, but now bears it with you. And this begins with Paul. Dealing with the first list described in Galatians five, the works or the the fruits of the flesh. This is what happens when our flesh is against the law. What does it do? What does it produce against the law? And sowing the seeds of unrighteousness. We begin with point one: bearing others' burdens. He begins this chapter, so chapter six, by describing a situation which one of the members of the Galatians community falls. What do you do when somebody actually bears the fruits of Galatians 5? What do you do when they sin? What do you do when inevitably they bear the fruits of the flesh? So he lays this out. What do we do? Presumably, based on the word used here for transgression, it's not the usual word used for sins. It's the same word he uses last in Romans 5. For sins entrance into the world through the first man in violation of God's law. It talks about the first man's sin and transgression came in. And this trans- transgression is probably not very different than the many transgressions talked about in Galatians 5:19 through 21, talking about the fruits of the flesh. So deception, idolatry, sensuality, all these things. That's that's what the that's what the soul or what the spirit not the spirit, what's what the flesh does. When it butts against the law. It's what the law produces in the flesh. Not because the law does it, but because the flesh produces it. And if everyone knows these sins, these sins must be public. It must have been big. If you're told to restore, it means everybody knows. Everybody knows these sins. So he says, What will you do when everyone knows what you've done? When the whole community knows what you've done? Do you publicly break them? You kind of lift them up and mock them and say, this guy messed up, So everybody know it's. We're going to scorn them, we're going to push them away. You lift them up for scorn and mockery of the community. Or are say, we're just going to push them out, they're no longer part of us, we have nothing to do with them, they're gross, we're pure, let's not deal with them. Paul says, you restore them. Not only restore them, and not even restoring them begrudgingly, like, do I really have to? But restore them with the spirit of meekness. And it's not just a weak and, or meek and a, and a humble attitude, because everyone can do that. But with meekness, it's the humility of Christ. Because he actually uses this word for meekness as a, as a fruit of the spirits in Galatians 5, to 23 This is one of the fruits something that Christ actually describes himself as. Is that, I am humble, I am meek, lowly in heart. Matthew 11, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we do this, we restore as an outflow, as an overflow of Christ's work on us. Because we've been accepted, we've been restored. Unless, like Paul says, we fall, in the same temptation. We do this lest we fall. It's, it's not to minimize or, or downplay the transgression of God's law, but this restoration is the mandate of the community. It presumes they did something wrong. To lift up a brother or a sister from their sin, to proclaim gospel truth to their soul with fragrance of Christ. I do this because Christ has done this for me. Christ has restored me. Christ has brought me back in. Because this was, is, and can be you. One who needs to be restored. And the Galatians, they were hit hard by the Judaizers. They were hit hard to go back to the law. But the law only pointed to their sin. They're outside of Christ. So continuing with verse 2. Much of this is done through burden-bearing, but how do we restore? We restore by putting the burdens on us. And as Christ has borne your burden, as He lift you, lifted up off your neck, this yoke that still kind of reddens and bruises your neck, He hoisted it on Himself and gives the community under His care to do the same thing. Because I have done this for you, do this for others. If you recall, this is exactly the opposite of what Paul says in Galatians 5:10. The last time he uses bearing burdens, it's not a positive aspect of the negative aspect from Galatians 5. There are those who are troubling the Galatians by pointing them back to the law and away from Christ's redemption. He says, "May the curse still be on them. May they bear the curse." Pointed the judgment on them. May they bear that judgment. And now this, this community does the work of Christ to restore a brother or sister in sin by bearing scorn. Now be associated with them. Now be with them. Bear that reputation. Those who are outside, have them in. Have them come in. Those who have questions, everything that now marks those who transgress, we now bear that as part of this community because principally, Christ bore that for us, thus filling, or you can kind of say fulfilling the law of Christ. This is the law of Christ. We might ask, what law? I thought the law was fulfilled. Christ picks a new law, without the law was only Moses. But this law of Christ is not a burdensome law. It's not a condemning law. This law doesn't require obedience for righteousness. This law doesn't condemn. This law only guides. It's our new life. This law takes the law written upon our hearts, upon tablets of stone at Sinai, says done. And now says, you can follow. They tried to follow the law and they couldn't do it. Now the Lord says, now that I have fulfilled this, here is your law. You follow me. So the transgressor, are we free from the law? Do you kind of get to walk around the mandates of the law? And as Paul would say, by no means. The law which condemns, Christ bore on himself is now shared in the church because Christ bore it. that we now be be guided by Christ. And now we can bear burdens because our burden was, bear, was born. I'm not gonna ask, where else do you get this? Where else to get a community that wants to bear scorn, that wants to bear terrible reputations, that wants to bear your sins? Think of every burden on your heart, every burden placed on your shoulders have a membership at costco Do members at costco want to bear these burdens Do you have a gym membership do other members ask what burden they can lift from you what about your favorite restaurant what about your favorite barber shop what about your favorite facebook group while the church never does this perfectly it's it's the only place that has a mandate to do so and now, what if you don't belong to Christ's bride? What if you don't belong to this church? What if you don't belong to this burden-bearing community? You may be thinking, having others do my, my dirty work? That's, that's plain weak. I, I can do this on my own. It's, it's really not taking responsibility for my action. I can't have anybody else taking my responsibility. I have to take my responsibility. And so Paul has a word for this. This brings us to point two, bearing your burdens. Nearly repeating himself verbatim from Galatians 2.6, it's kind of the same phrase. He turns his eyes to the community that bears each other's, from the community that bears each other's burdens, to you who may do the same thing for your own. So he asks, do you have what it takes? All this world needs, you may be answering, are people who own up to their mistakes or stuff it really deep down, who don't ask for handouts, and they just work things out. So Can you do that? Can you really actually do that? So Paul answers in verses four to five. He asks again, do you have what it takes? This is verse four, but let each one, he's speaking to you, test his own work. And then his reason will be to boast in himself. And not his neighbor. Paul says, Go for it. Go ahead. Try your best. But test it. See if what you do lasts. See if the way you see and live in this world counts for anything in the end. An allusion to another of Paul's letters, it's 1 Corinthians 3. He's like, let's test the foundation. Let's test what I've built upon talks about his own building if my own building falls short let it be tested by fire for if he builds what is his own opinion of his own strength let it be tested by fire and it will burn but that which is of Christ what we're testing by Christ won't be burned it will be refined that which is of man will be burned he says boast in that boast in your own work but you're boasting, it'll fizzle fast. It'll, it'll be short. It'll not last. It's the sure, sure, the fire looks good for a little bit, but it's, it's going to burn out. And a direct opposition to bear one another's burdens, just a few verses earlier, Paul says, for each will have to bear his own load. So test your work refinements, Do the best you can possibly do. Leave no stern, leave no stone unturned, no question unanswered. Bear your own burden. Do it to the best of your ability. But it will fail. You will fail. And you, you alone will bear that burden. There's, there's no one else coming to bear it. If you want to test it, if you want to bear your own burden, no one's coming. No one's going to bear it for you. And yet, is is this not exactly what is proclaimed with, with fervor and gusto, but what I like to call the ministers of our culture? I'll call one of them Reverend Taylor Swift. Newly minted doctor in May by NYU, captured this perfectly. In the cultural version of the biblical warning, bear your own burdens if you dare. Towards the end of her speech, she concludes, quote, How do I give advice to this many people about their life choices? I won't. She continues, scary news is, you're on your own now. Cool news is, you're on your own now. An equally famous poet of his time is about 200 years ago. a well-known stanza says much the same. This is the poem called Invictus. I am the master of my fates. I am the captain of my soul. So to bear your own burdens, it it means you're in control. You got this thing. I can do it. Having other people do my dirty work, it's it's for me and for me alone. I'm a a worker. I'm going to do this on my own. And yet to be in control means no one else is going to steer. You're, you're at the helm of your ship. Wouldn't you rather bear your burdens or, or have them born for you? Because they're going to get heavy. And here's the blood bots to to-be-perfected community with inbreakings of new creation life as we move into verse 6. As he responds, you don't have to bear your burden. In fact, you can't bear your burden. In the last point, point 3, burden-bearing community. In usual Pauline fashion, he utilizes a brilliant play on words. That one who is taught in in the Greek sounds a lot like his reason to boast. It sounds very similar. Kind of like a rhyme. Paul is trying to contrast these two responses. Like, if you want to boast, here's the one who is taught. Instead of testing your work for yourself, that you may boast in what you've done, he says, share freely, freely the word. Share freely in what Christ has done to free you from this burden. Not to boast in your burden. Not to say, I can do this on my own. He's like, no. Boast that Christ has done this for you. Share freely in this. You, yes, you still feel its effects. You still feel this burden. It still kind of got an impression on your neck. You still feel the callus. You still feel that it's been there. And sometimes you feel like it's still there. But you don't bear a condemnation for your yoke, you don't bear a condemnation for anything. Your sin against God's law, it still has ramifications for daily life. Whether it's done against someone else or in your own heart. But there's no mark on your account. There's, There's nothing on your account because of what Christ has done. We still bear the ramifications, but there's nothing against our account. So this discipline of restoring a member who's been restored or sinned back into the community is both negative. So it's showing or acknowledging that you have violated God's law and working towards restoration, reminding them of gospel truths. You don't get people back in just by the law. That's how we expose. You get them back in by the gospel. And this is, this is such a need reminder, as, as Paul says in verse 7, because those who sow according to the law will reap their reward. Transgression. He says God is not mocked because you can't skirt the system. You can't, you can't confuse God. You can't use a cheat code to get out of this system. God's legal system, unlike kind of our modern-day legal system, it doesn't have flaws. You can't look at some chink in the in the armor and say, "Oh, there's there's a little bit missing here." That's because there's no defense attorney that you can hire that can stand in front of God, who is both prosecutor and judge. There's, there's nobody educated enough to do this. There's no defense attorney that you can hire, and it's used all throughout. This mocking is used all throughout the Book of Proverbs. For the one who scorns the teaching of the Father to make the Son wise. Why would you mock this? Looking at God's law and saying, I can do better. I can do better than God's law. Not too dissimilar from what Paul says in Galatians 5. Paul continues, If you sow in the flesh, condemnation will result. If you sow in the flesh, as he said in Galatians 5, you'll reap the flesh. So reaping the flesh means condemnation. But if you sow in the Spirit, he says it will reap the Spirit in Galatians 5, and it gets clear in Galatians 6, you will reap eternal life. And it's it's an agricultural metaphor, because they they would have understood they're all farmers. They would have understood, yeah, if I sow this, I'm going to reap this. We sow in the flesh naturally, for this is what we're born into. We are fleshly. 1 Corinthians 15 says this as well. The first man was born of flesh. So are we. But we sow in the spirit supernaturally. Because we're not naturally spiritual people. It's been won for us and given to us because of what Christ has done. It's our rebirth. It's our literally our birth from above. It's our spiritual birth. And almost like Paul knows us, he assumes this is difficult. Sowing the Spirit is difficult. Sowing the, the flesh is easy. Because when we become Christians, we, we really want to sow the Spirit. We want to sow a lot of it. But we, we want it now. Like, God, change me now. Make me spiritual now. We never feel like we produce enough. Like, Lord, I, I produce a lot in the flesh. I produce a lot still in the flesh. It doesn't quite feel like my, my spiritual sowing is, is, is catching up. Or that our relationship with Christ is solid enough. It doesn't feel, doesn't feel like we're, we're there. Or that our righteousness is pure enough. Or like, I'm, I'm definitely not where I should be. So you can almost, you can hear him softening his voice. because so we have all these doubts, all these fears in our mind. Like, I'm not, I'm not sowing enough. Definitely not compared to what I'm sowing in the flesh. And so he says, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. We so often hear about these instant conversions. We may have one on our own. Changes in our lives. And we feel like, compared to them, I, I don't measure up. They're part of the spiritual super team, and I'm, I didn't make the cut. So Paul simply encourages you. He says, it will come. It's not because you lack faith. It's because you're still in this sin-sick body, in this sin-sick creation, that wars against the flesh. Because he just talked about the war in Galatians 5. That we're still waging on, which is why we still feel this. Where he says, that will end and it will come. And so in verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. And this is deeply opposite of bear your own burden. Talk about in verses 3 to 5. Boast in yourself. You know, deeply contrast that with be good to everyone, especially the household of faith. This is not on your own. And as well as a fitting closure to verses 1 through 2. As a result of our redemption in Christ, his, his back breaking work under the law, him taking on the burdens, we see this in Isaiah 53, this, this suffering servant who takes upon iniquity, takes upon transgressions, the things that we live under, that he chose to be under. He wasn't under this, and that he chose to be under burdens. That he forgives our sins, and gives us his record of perfect righteousness. And that we pour forth the same. This fountain of righteousness and good worth then bursts out from us. We just, we have no choice but to burst out. And the corporate community of his redeemed people, we're gathered with today, to those who have fallen, who are downtrodden, which might even be us, might even be you. He says, principally, as Paul says, we do this to the church. We take care of our own. We see broken legs. We see broken hearts. Broken or breaking marriages. These sin-sick hearts. And we overflow with gospel work. It says, make no mistake. We, we test it against God's law. How does this fare against God's law? But then we move immediately to the gospel. It doesn't just say, law, 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 law. You expose the law, and you just flush it with the gospel. That's how we restore. We reprove and rebuke the transgression. We call it what it is. We don't mince words. But our ultimate goal is restoration. You don't just push out and forget. You push out for a time so they repent and they come back. Through our goodness, through our teaching and righteousness, that they may show forth the fruit of the spirits, Because it doesn't stop at the fruit of the flesh, our goal is the fruit of the Spirit. So I ask, have you fallen? Christ cares for you, the church cares for you. As you know, no matter how many children a mother bears, if she has 15 children, do you think she loses track of any of them? I have 15, I can lose one of them. Does Christ forget any of his sheep? What a call for us in the community to care, watch, and restore our own. And there's always gonna be backbiting, there's always gonna be gossip, and there's always gonna be infighting within this church, within this house. But our good shepherd, our good head, our great Savior has assured you that he will restore and he will direct your path. And again, I ask, where else can you get this? No one else has this mandate. No one else has this power. And as we end, I implore those who do not confess Christ to ask, who's going to bear your burden?" Will you pick yourself up will you dust yourself off will you continue walking only to fall once again it's not a question of if you will fall again it's when will you fall again who's going to pick you up no one will carry you but christ but it takes admitting that you have burdens because of your sins because you have transgressed god's law as confess Christ as your Savior, that He may take on your burdens, because you have burdens and they need to be on somebody. But are you part of this community of Christ? Confess, reprove, and rebuke, but always with the scent of restoration. It should never be divorced from restoration. May those who talk to you, or may those you talk to, know with certainty that you want them back. You want them back in the fold. Have you fallen? Are you needing restoration? Are you you in need of restoration? Even if this community fails, which it will, there is one who will never fail that's because Christ, he will always call you back. He is the one who restored and will restore you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've done this for us, that you have saved us.